else. If you've got a Bible, we're in Luke 18 this morning. Uh, Luke 18, we're going to read verses 1 through number 8 to begin our time together. Um, and uh, then we'll, we'll unpack what I think God's going to say to us through this word. This has been a very, very special passage of Scripture um, for me personally over the last uh, 9, 12 months. Um, and I honestly uh, uh, have been waiting and, and, and anxious to, to preach from this text. Um, and it just worked out to, uh, to do so today. So I'm, I'm, I'm gr- grateful um, privileged to be able to, to uh, stand in front of God's Word this morning. Um, so Luke 18, if you found your place, uh, the title in your Bibles may be The Parable of the Persistent Widow, um, and, and that's an appropriate title. We're going to learn a lot from this text today. Then he spoke, Jesus of course, a parable to them that men, or they, always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me and from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear that what the unjust judge said, And shall not God avenge his own elect, who cry out day and night to him, Though he bears long with them, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? May God bless this text and bless us as we hear what he has to say to us from it. You know, 10 years ago, um, I had just started college and I was sorting through, still sorting through where um, that would take me uh, and where I was going in life. Uh, maybe I'm still trying to sort through that. Um, God had called me into ministry. I knew that much. Um, for two years, I had wrestled and struggled and, and ran in circles around this call that I knew God had pressed on my heart. But I didn't really know what that meant, um, and, and, and I really didn't know where he was going to take me with that. And my plan was to go to college, and, and I had uh, started at LR with, uh, on track for a physics uh, degree. And I, I, really, I really loved that stuff. Maybe that makes you question my sanity more than you already do. Um, I, uh, I love doing math problems that uh, uh, take the whole section of the notebook up, right? And after about two years of that, I thought, you know what? God has called me to something better. Um, but at the beginning of it, I was really excited about doing, um, doing all sorts of that. And, and I really thought that, hey, I would enter into a career um, in physics or engineering, and maybe down the road, God would give me an opportunity to preach. I was young, and young people don't preach, right? And, and, and kids like me at the time, maybe still like me at this time. Um, I just didn't see that there was ever going to be an opportunity or a door open for me to be in ministry. I just thought that was something God was showing me for the future. Um, So I was waiting for that to happen. Meanwhile, I was trying to figure out what it was going to mean for me in the here and now. And and, uh, but I knew, uh, I knew enough about what the church meant to me um, that I knew my place um, and my, my purpose was in and around and would always be in and around the local church. You know, my entire worldview for Christianity, my entire worldview for, for the church was through the lens of a little white church on a hill just a few miles from here on the backside of an old mill village that had long been abandoned. Um, I didn't know much or anything of, of what I know now and, and, and whether that means better or not. Um, yeah, I'd heard other preachers. Um, I'd followed through through radio ministry and television programs that I, I had grown up just before the age of social media. So uh, whereas, you know, we're, nowadays every church exists on every social channel. Everybody can peer into what every preacher is saying and what every church is doing. Um, and everybody shares and pastors are visible on every channel. Um, so 
my entire context for church, though, was where I grew up. Um, and just down the road from here at South River Baptist, um, for better or for worse, and, and I'll say it was for the better, um, because I, what, I learned, uh, what I learned growing up um, is how important the local church was, how important the local church is, and how important the local church will always be. You know, yeah, we all have access to so much more content now, and we have access to so much information, minds, and ideas, but nothing will ever, nothing will ever replace the local church. And I grew up understanding that the local church is invaluable, and that it's irreplaceable in my life, and it would always be invaluable and irreplaceable in my life, and I could see it in the hearts of other people, whether they went where I went or other places, the importance, the invaluable, the irreplaceable nature of the church. You know, I never was taught, nor did I wrongly elevate my pastors um, or anyone in the church to an unhealthy place. Pastors should never be idolized, uh, whether local or celebrity. They're just people. We're just people. We're just messengers um, of a much greater man, a much greater message. Um, But I did, and I do think we should trust those who God calls into ministry um, with the special gifts that they have been given to serve. And and when God called me into ministry, I didn't ever see myself being a gift to anybody. um, you know, my pastors growing up, Lester and, and, and Larry, both of those men, they were, they were special to me. They were gifts to me. They had something that always inspired me and always comforted me. I never saw myself being a gift to anybody, though. I never saw myself being in a position um, where anybody would take whatever I had to say um, as anything important. And I don't think God calls anyone into ministry that thinks or expects themselves to be great. God calls the humble. He does not share the stage, right? So I don't think anybody enters into ministry thinking they've got something to say. If they do, I don't think they last very long. The seed for my call to ministry was a passion for God's Word, a desire to see His Word transform lives as it had mine, a continual process in everyone's life. You know, I think the seed for anyone's call is like Jeremiah described in Jeremiah 20. When he said, if I, if I will not mention or speak any more of his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones. I am weary with withholding it, and I cannot. Jeremiah describes his call in the ministry and how he got in and he wanted to get out and he was persecuted and he was troubled and he was just anxious and all sorts of emotions came along with it. And he tried to quit. He tried to bail out, but he, he says in that text, I couldn't. Because within me was this burning passion, not because I thought I was great, but because God is great. And this is how, since the beginning, God has been growing His church. Through men, through women, through leaders, through uh, people like yourselves who have a burning, burning passion for God's Word. And God raises up messengers from those bodies to spread the fire and to spread the hope of the good news. And anywhere you read in the Gospels, especially the stories of the early church, you always see the church growing in tandem with the Word spreading. You never see the church growing without the Word being spread. And wherever the Word is spread, the church usually always expands. Acts 6 is just one example where the Scripture says, the Word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. You can read that refrain throughout the book of Acts. Every chapter, every other chapter at the end of the stories, it will say, the Word increased, the disciples multiplied. And as God began planting and building communities, city by city, town by town, He's done so through the local church, through the Word, through the labor of men and women, transformed by and testifying to what God has done. And as God has been raising people up through His Word, He demonstrates with one what He wants to do with everyone. That's God's model. 
always throughout history, and we treat, we, we seek that every time we come together. And here's the thing. I'm not someone, maybe somebody else would say this, but I'm not someone that wants to, that, that wants to make you think or wants to, 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 uh, to set the idea that every opportunity you get to come here might be your last, right? I'm, I'm not that kind of person that fear mongers or guilt trips anybody, but I do think this is an important thing to think about, that it might not be the last opportunity, but it could be the most important one. Like, what if we treated every gathering? What if we treated every assembly? What if we treated every opportunity to worship and learn from God's Word and with God's people? What if we treated every gathering like it was the most important yet and the most important ever? How different our churches might be. How different our hearts might be. But we're so circumstantial, aren't we? We're so temperamental, aren't we? We're so emotional, aren't we? And it seems as if we can never know whether we're going to feel like it or not. And sometimes we might miss out on what God has to say. But what if we treated every opportunity like it was the most important one yet? The Apostle Paul, as he went around the churches that he planted in his early years, um, he took a trip to the church at Ephesus. Now, Paul did not know for sure if this was going to be the last time he talked to this group of people, but in his language, in his send-off to these leaders of that church, he says to them as much, this might be the last time, you know, I, I might even think this is the last time, but regardless of if, of, of if this is the last time or not, I hope that you continue the church with this spirit, with this excitement, with every opportunity that you meet, that God has something to say and that God has placed you, speaking to the leaders, in place to say something great. Acts 20 says, Now behold, I know that none of you, none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God, Pay careful attention to yourselves, to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So what is Paul saying to the Ephesian elders, to the leaders of that church? God has placed you there for a very important purpose. And even to the flock, God has placed you here for a very important purpose. Now, I guess I say all of this to say everyone God has gathered here today, thank you for taking God's church seriously. Thank you for handling God's call sacredly. Men like me owe a debt to faithful Christians all over the land. This is not about me, though, or anyone who speaks up here. This is about us. This is about everyone, whether they're here or somewhere else worshiping. And I say, not with confidence in myself, but with commitment to the call. It's such an awesome privilege to worship, worship with every one of you, whether I know you personally or not, whether you can consider the person to your left or to your right, your brother or sister or not. You are all, we are all a part of God's household today. And that makes you family. That makes us family. We aren't just related to those in our direct midst either, but all of, uh, all of those likewise gathering in houses around our area, around our state, around our country, around our world, we are united together in Christ. We are free to gather, but some don't. Some are forbidden to gather, but they still do. Some are oppressed for gathering, yet they continue to confess. And all around the world, we join the chorus. We confess together that Jesus Christ is Lord. His Word is life. His Spirit is power. And we are His church. And even though we adjourn and spend more time apart than we do together, there is still a connection within all of us and with all of us. We stand to benefit from that connection, from that link, if we choose to. 
if we lean into, and we'll talk more about that, but that's really the whole purpose of this conversation today. It's our goal that our services always bring us closer together around God's Word, around God's kingdom, around God's calls, so that we depart but we don't dissent or disjoin from one another at heart. We leave clinging to every word that has been spoken over us, every song of praise that has filled us, every promise that was made to us. And I am blessed to have several pastor friends and family members that I can confide in and talk to about what God has called us to do and share in the joy of pastoring. You know, my Uncle Johnny, my father-in-law Greg, uh, my decade-long friend Brandon, a uh, uh, preacher that I heard in a revival at this church years ago, um, 10 years ago, in a whole other um, different scenario. Uh, some of you were here, I'm sure, uh, Pastor Bud Painter, uh, uh, many, many men like him, young and old, that I've been acquainted with. Um, in our conversations, when we talk and we pray together, the theme is always one of passion that God's church would see its potential and God's people would realize their purpose. And you know, when I come together with my, my friends and, 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 and those in the ministry, when I come together, it's some, something we always agree on is that the purpose always overpowers the problems and the potential and the upswing always overwhelms the improbable and the unlikely. That if, if someone tells you in ministry there aren't struggles, <laughs> they're lying to you, if someone tells you there aren't days of discouragement, they're just not being honest. If someone tells you that there aren't days where things seem improbable and things seem unlikely and things seem like to be piling on, that is just not being, not being honest about how life can be, right? But for me, for, I hope for all of you, but for me and those that I talk to in ministry, it's always the purpose and the potential and the upswing that pushes us on. But at the heart of what we do, at the heart of what we gather to do is this shared connection with God. We all have it, and we all can tap into it. And I've realized, I've realized that God has taught me that if I am to communicate any one thing well, if I'm to model and demonstrate any one thing, to teach any one thing, it's the importance of this connection, of the line of communication that God wants to have with us all and that we all can have with God, this lifeline that we all have access to. You know, years ago, when I first started in ministry, getting used to preparing message after message, week after week, I, I don't think it really dawned on me how, or registered with me, how sacred and how serious this job really was, and I don't think it really dawned on me what my job really was. I, I mean, I knew God had something to say. I didn't really know how or, or what, um, how to communicate it properly always. Didn't know what he was always saying. I really didn't know his word and his message was cohesive and connected. I, originally, I would just open a text and see that you know, God was saying something and try my best to, be, to sound smart and sound witty and, and communicate something that people would walk out you know, wanting to quote or wanting to, to, to apply. Um, but as I began to read the Bible more and more, I realized that God was forming this amazing plan and had this amazing will for every one of our lives. No matter how different or unique we may feel, the Word, as, as static as it may appear on paper, the Word, as, as is as it comes, uh, the Word plus the Spirit always equals life. And if men like me would just get out of the way and present the text as it's given with the message as God gave it, the Word of God plus the Spirit of God will always produce life in the hearts of his people. Now, now, wherever there's death, God has life to speak into that. Wherever there's defeat, God has victory to speak into that. Wherever there's sin, God has grace to speak into that. Wherever there is uh, uh, emptiness, God has love to speak into that. Wherever there is insignificance, God has value to speak into that. 
And God is still working on me to get me out of the way to make sure that I can communicate His Word the way He wants me to instead of translating to what I wanted to say. But I had a conversation with a guy. doesn't even go to church. He's a believer, but I don't know where his heart and walk is. But God put this guy in front of me on a day when I needed to hear it. Uh, because I remember the season of ministry I was in. I didn't know what I was about to face or go through, but God did. And He let this guy in on just what he needed to say to prepare me for my future. And, and I didn't take, it didn't take initially, but eventually, about two, three years down the road, I, I couldn't set out to prepare a message without this guy and this conversation coming to my mind. I was talking to him about the Bible and preparing messages and ch the challenge of addressing all the stuff that I felt like I needed to as a pastor um, and, and, and with any given situation, with any given text. And we were just, you know, having a friendly conversation. And, and, and we're friends enough to where when he stopped me and said, hey, I got to say something to you. It didn't offend me. Um, he said, Justin, let me stop you and tell you something. And, and when you set out to take God's word in front of however many and whoever you might find yourself in front of, consider the message of the Bible, and you go up there and you talk to that one guy or that one girl who slides in the service unknown, down on their luck, down and out. He says, you make sure. And he said, just do this for me. You don't have to. He's like, I don't, you know, who am I? I'm not a prophet or anybody. I just want you to know this is what I think people like you should do every time they get a chance to stand in front of people like y'all. He says, I think you should talk to that one person, that one person that's broken and bitter and confused and lost, that one person that's going through something that you could never imagine and they may not ever tell you about, but assume there is that one person in your midst that is broken and bitter and bruised and heart, heartache, all the things you can imagine, assume that that one person needs to hear some good news. You speak to that one guy, you speak to that one girl, you speak life and hope and grace and love to them. And here's the thing, and, and you know, this is simple mathematics, so not going too deep, but everybody remembers back in elementary school, Hopefully you learned this in elementary school. Maybe not. Least common denominator. Maybe you, you remember that. It's probably had different names throughout the years. But the way I kind of categorized that in my mind was, Justin, you go and you speak to the least common denominator every single time. And before you take that to be derogatory, just stick with me. Because if the church is going to be anything, it ought to be a place for the least of these, right? I mean, Jesus himself said in, in the parable that depicted the judgment day, he said, I say is that you did it to any of these, the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. So Jesus himself says, hey, we better think about the least among us. So it took me a while, but I prayed over that, and God kept repeating that conversation in my mind for years, and it still does, and he kept bringing me to Scripture that just brought that conversation to such a place of importance. And I made my mind up. I'm going to come into every service with this heart, to speak to the brokenness, the struggle, the difficulty, the fears, the pain, the disgrace that one might be bearing, that one might be struggling with. And you know what I've discovered? This is the message and aim of every word that comes out of God's mouth. And it's not always feel-good messages. It's uncomfortable sometimes. It's personal sometimes. It's awkward sometimes. It's necessary, though. And you know what I've realized? Hardly ever does that one guy or that one girl walk up to me after the service and say, that's exactly what I needed to hear. You spoke just to me. Sometimes it happens, and it makes me feel so humble. But rarely does anybody ever walk up that I don't know or I've never met before and say, that was exactly what I needed to hear because I've been going through X, Y, and Z. 
Sometimes they do, but you know what happens every time from Tuesday, Thursday on, when I really begin to dig into what's coming next week? From Tuesday, Thursday on into Sunday, even after as the message still lingers, you know what always dawns on me as I dig into God's Word, as I preach God's Word, and as I kind of follow up with what I spoke on? I'm the one. I'm the one who's broken and needy. I'm the one that every single time, every single week, needs life. I don't need some fake, hokey religion that sermonizes me to pretend to be holy. I need life, and I need hope, and I need help, and I need grace, and I need resurrection. Religion has taught me to hide it. But in teaching how to hide it, it hasn't offered any help or any healing. Here's the point. I don't think I'm the only one in here. We're all the least of these. We all need a fresh wind and fire, healing grace from God, don't we? So here's the thing. When addressing the least common denominator, when addressing the least, because religion makes us all seem so perfect, it makes us all look so perfect, right? We think we're not the ones that really need it. Somebody else, we got to be here and guess they come because we got to be here to make it official, right? We think a lot of ourselves sometimes. But when we address the least common denominator, it always ends up appealing to the most possible outcomes. Least common denominator actually identifies the greatest common factor. The most needed conversation that, 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 is, that is pressing that day. It does not isolate anybody. It identifies, identifies every one of us as in need of God's grace. Because the more we talk about real life and real problems and real issues, the more God's Word can speak and help and grace can come to those areas and channels of our heart. And to come together and not act like we need help from God, we're just being dishonest. But we've got to start being honest with ourselves. Because you know what happens? You know what happens when we come together, but we don't cry out together? You know what happens when we come together and we file in line like religious pawns and we just get in our place and we're writing our little square on the board and we all say the same thing and we go through the same motions, but we don't ever really authentically cry out in unison, yes, I am a sinner and yes, I know they are and I know that they are, but I don't judge them and I don't blame them and I don't accuse them. I'm right there with them and I'm not going to look down on anybody. I'm going to look up from the, from the altar. I'm going to look up from the cross at the Savior who has looked at all of us with grace and with love. You know what happens when we come together and we pretend like we aren't the most needy, the most broken, the most, you know, uh, the most vulnerable people that have ever existed when we act like we don't need God's healing and God's grace? When we come together and we don't cry out together, we die out together. And that's why religion is dying. That's why churches are dying. Because we're not real anymore. My point is when we come together and we act like we don't have a need and we act like we don't need any help, guess what? We don't get any help. 
We walk away still in need, only getting worse. Come on, we need to talk about any and all heart problems that we all face. We need to talk about fear and greed and lust and anxiety and anger and pain and unrest. We need to talk about marriage problems and financial problems and relationship problems and family problems and church problems and world problems because we've all got them. And they'll have us until we get help. So we come together. My job as a leader to lead us together to God and that we might confess together that we have a need. And listen, we're all friends here. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I get tired of life. Just in general, I get restless and I get run down. But God showed me something in His Word in the past year that is so simple. It's not mind-blowing on the surface, but when I read it over and over again, it shook my entire pastoral purpose because it explains so much about our world, our churches, and my own life. And the solution is right there in front of us, and we don't realize it. And the reason we keep sinking is black and white, but we don't see it. So God told me the other day that I needed to put this down and on blast for us this week so that we might continue, we might not continue going down, 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 and that we might find help, all of us together, forever. This one verse has meant so much to me this past year. I don't know why it took me so long to bring it to everybody, but God's timing is perfect, so I know he's going to make it matter today. 18 verse 1, Jesus speaks to them, and he says, and Luke tells us the purpose of this parable, which is very unique. Luke never, the writers of the Gospels never tell us what the parable is before Jesus does. But Luke seems to think this parable is so important, he doesn't wait for Jesus to tell us what this, is, what this is about. Luke tells us up front, he editorializes and says, hey, this parable is about something very important. You need to know this. Before you get lost in the who is the widow and who is the judge and what does this mean, I want to make sure you know up front, here is the purpose of this story. That we would pray and not lose heart. He says that prayer will combat against our heart's drift, our heart's determinations at times to give up. There is something in all of us, something that is broken and off, off the axis at times, that wants to give up, that wants to let go, that wants to say, I quit. The most strong-willed of, of people have this same brokenness. And Luke wants us to know, Jesus wants us to know, prayer is the only thing that can successfully combat the heart's drift to give up. Now, he says to us that the parable is to the effect of, the next word, some Bibles say that men or that they, but the emphasis is plural. Notice it says, the, he spoke a parable to them, that men or that they, he's talking to a group of people, right? That they, that the disciples, that the church, the point is, this is not a secret, nor does it have to be a secret that we aren't perfect, that we're broken, that we're hurting, that we need some kind of help, lots of kinds of help. Literally, the text says, if you were to translate it without dressing it up, he told them a parable about how it is necessary for them to always pray instead of fainting. So it's not that it's an option. You can pray or you can faint or you can do neither one. The, the, the Greek there, the text says, hey, if you don't pray, you're going to faint. If you don't pray, life's going to get you down and life's going to bury you. It is necessary 
that, that word necessary all throughout the book of Luke, all throughout Acts. It's this necessity from God. I've got to do this. It's greatly beneficial, but it's also a requirement if I want to do what God's called me to do. But this is not anything that's difficult, right? It's not, a, uh, a, not something that's going to hurt us. This is going to help us, right? Yet we still forget to do it. Yet we still think that's not what I need. Jesus said it is a must that we would pray so that you won't faint. Now the word faint there literally means inwardly rotting. It's the word that means bad, and it's bad that has been internalized. Inwardly rotting, decaying, breaking, falling apart. So what is Jesus saying? Pray or lose heart. Pray or we're going to faint and we're going to grow weary. You know what he's saying? He's saying, listen, y'all, I, I know what's happening. I see it. You're weary. You're fainting. You're hurting. You're broken. And I've come to introduce a connection to the only one that can help you. Sustain you, save you, resurrect you, all the language you want to use there. Communication, there, our communication, our confession to God, our dependence on God is necessary if we're ever going to find inner spiritual strength and healing. Jesus tells us that there is a connection between prayer and vitality, between prayer and strength. And there's a connection between no prayer and weakness, no prayer and frailty. I've heard this verse, verse quoted to me over and over again, and I've read it over and over again, but only recently did this verse stop me in my tracks, and God used it to get my attention. You know, life is constantly draining us of strength and vitality, our vigor and our will. There are stumbling blocks everywhere. We are always expensing energy. Some days are like a carousel. You go round and round and round. Speaking of going round and round and round, about a year ago, we were at the fair, and I made one of the worst decisions of my life. I actually did a dumb video before I got on this thing. I said, I'm going to do something dumb, and I, it, it was very dumb. It was worse than dumb. I decided I was going to ride this tilt-a-whirl flying saucer thing. And I really don't know how to describe it. it, it you, you got strapped into these carts that look harmless as the teacups at Disney World. And then there's several pods on these carts, and there's this giant wheel. So your little pod is spinning, plus the giant wheel is spinning. And sometimes they do this torturous thing of spin opposite direction. And the only way I can possibly describe it, it, it would be like if you were, to be, you were to get into a blender... And then you were to be thrown into a washing machine at the same time. But the blender's not protecting you from whatever the washing machine's doing to you. And here we get on this thing. And I, we are going round and round and round. And it's fast. The rotation with the rotation. And sometimes the thing just goes counterclockwise. And we had just ate this greasy, nasty fair food. And I ate some greasy, nasty food. But this was, woo, really bad. And it was so awful, it went on for about five minutes too long. And just when I thought I'm going to be able to breathe again, it went back the other way. It was going over and over and over again. I just thought to myself, this is not going to end. And sometimes life just doesn't. Give us a break. I got off there literally with a triple dose of seasickness, and I felt terrible. I literally sat on the ground for 30 minutes. I've avoided making dumb decisions like that for so long. What was wrong with me? Chris could have stopped me, but he didn't. A few weeks ago, I made my return to ground zero. And I looked up at that wheel and I thought, <laughs> I'm never getting back on. But with the season that I've been in the last few months, with the stress and the taxing 
that comes along with ministry sometimes, I thought, I looked at that thing and thought, man, I already feel rough enough. I don't need to get on that thing. Here's my point. Some days and some seasons, life is just taking us and churning and spinning and will not let up. And really every day, according to Jesus, the nature of this world, the nature of this life, the nature of us is doing this to us. Some days we misread our ability and our vitality. We think, I've got this, but hear me out. We don't. It's okay to admit that, right? And prayer and worship are a way to communicate that, God, I don't have this, but you do. God, I'm weak, and you're not just strong, you're almighty, right? You are the almighty, infinite creator and sustainer of this universe. God, I'm a rebel, but you're my rescue. God, I'm a sinner, but you're my savior. God, I'm struggling, but you're my sovereign. And in this parable, Jesus goes on to talk about this, uh, this pagan, godless judge who did right by a vulnerable widow simply because she kept bothering him. That's what the text says. And he says, I wish I would, I want her to stop bothering me, so I'm going to give her whatever she wants just to get her to leave me alone. She continued to plead her case to him, and the message of this parable isn't to find God in the judge or find us in the widow. It's just to make a point. Here's a woman who went before a judge with her, who was heartless, but she knew her fate rested in his hands. She knew he could make a stroke of a pen and give her exactly what she needed. She was losing every day. The only thing that kept her alive was hope in this judge. And Jesus says the unrighteous judge relenting sends us a message about God. He says in verse 7, And shall, not, shall God not avenge His own elect, who cry out day and night to Him, though He bears longer, though it seems like it's taken a while? Justice is strength when we're weak. Justice is peace when we're panicking. Justice is supplies when we're needy. Justice is whatever can make Whatever can make what's wrong right. And here's the thing. Our main focus is prayer. In prayer should, should be what's wrong in here, what we need in here, what the peace and strength we're missing at heart, God can give it. This isn't about getting whatever we want. It's about getting what we need. And what does verse 1 say we need? V strength, rest, and peace. So if you wonder, what's the point of all of this? What is the pastor or worship leader's goal and what they do? It's because we know, I know, that unless we seek the Lord, life will engulf us. Verse 8 says, Jesus, I, Jesus I, I tell you, He will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He really find faith on the earth? Now, most take that and speak of the return of Jesus, but the Scripture does not say return. It says come. As in any point in time when Jesus might show up. We can't always see Him, can we? But I think this tells us that God is our very near and present refuge and help. And Psalm 46 says that God is our refuge and strength. He is a very present help in a time of trouble. And Jesus says, when I come, will I find people that are praying and seeking me? So this, what this tells me is that Jesus is always with us. And what if there are situations and seasons wherein you faint or give up, but if you were just to look up, you might find that God is closer than you think? What if Jesus has been with us the whole time, but we haven't communicated with Him, and we haven't connected with Him, but what if we were to pray and find out that He's been right there beside us? He even took us into the storm because He wanted to show us something. 
Name a storm the disciples went in that Jesus was not right there with them. Listen, prayer reminds us that God never loses connection with us. God can always be reached. He can always be found. He's usually right next to us. But unless we pray, unless we seek Him, and we will never know. We may never know. We may not ever experience Him. We may indeed faint. You don't have to accept that faith though. You can confess your need and weakness right now. You can reach out to Jesus now, anytime, always. He's with you. Even in the fire you may be facing right now. It may, have, it may have burnt you and scarred you, but you don't have to give up. Prayer is our lifeline. It doesn't guarantee absolute power, but it always guarantees amazing, almighty presence. It opens our eyes, it opens our heart to God's presence. For the last year, God has been teaching me this. I've been attempting to pray every hour 18 past the hour for just a minute. 18 verse 1. I don't do this every hour. Sometimes time gets away from me. But my prayer, my, my, my effort has been once an hour I can pause and pray. Surround me with your presence, God. Because a lot of other stuff is surrounding me right now. And it will win if I don't let you in. Fill me with your power, God. Because I'm being emptied of every bit of power I have. God, bless me with your provisions because my provisions are not going to last or take care of me. God, drive me with your purpose. Ignite me with your passion. Remind me of your promises. You know what this reminds me every time I pray, every hour when I pause and bow my head? I'm never alone. And sometimes in the solace of that one minute, I find the strength to get through the other 59. You know what I'm reminded every hour when I pray? The presence of God in the prayer takes me through the fire. And listen, it's not just me. It's not just you. We're in this together, aren't we? We're a team. We're a family. We're a kingdom. We're the church. We have a Lord, a Father, a King, and a Savior. And Jesus says, if you just pray to your friend, your Lord, your Savior, your King, your Father, you will have exactly what you need when you need it. You won't faint. You'll live. I pray that we don't miss an opportunity to experience His fullness now, tomorrow, forever. We're going to sing a song for just a few minutes about that other man that walks beside us in the fires of life. Maybe you're in a fire right now and you need his presence. You can bow your head, you can pray, and he will fill your heart and he will overwhelm whatever is overwhelming you. But I pray this song would carry our faith and would carry our desire and carry the promise of God that we might be reminded that we're not alone. That we don't have to faint or grow weary. Because God is with us. Let me pray for you.
Father, thank you for this word today. Father, thank you for letting me have the opportunity just to talk to your people and explain to them what my heart's desire is and what my heart beats for. Lord, as a pastor, I want most importantly to lead your people to be a people that is connected together and and unified around prayer. And Lord, I pray that you would bless everyone that reaches out to you right now. Lord, the scripture says we can pray and we won't faint. We can pray instead of fainting. Maybe somebody feels like they're about to stumble. Someone feels like they're about to faint right now. Someone feels like that they're about to drown in whatever life has put them in. And maybe they're worried about somebody else who is drowning and is stumbling and has fallen. Lord, if they're praying for themselves or for somebody else, Lord, let this be a moment of your presence and a moment of your power to remind us that we are not alone. Father, help us to know that prayer is a lifeline. If we were to only pray, we wouldn't faint. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.